three years old. Uh, I say temple here. It's uh, actually, as we know, the tabernacle still set up. Solomon hadn't built the temple yet, but it's called the house of the Lord in verse 24. So uh, to uh, the Lord, uh, where his Shekinah glory dwelt, it was where God was. And uh, you remember that Hannah had promised God that if he gave her a little boy, she would give him back to the Lord. And that's what she's doing here in our text. I think this is the climax then to Hannah's part in the story of Samuel, though we will uh, take up verses 1 through 10 next week, which is Hannah's song, where she praises the Lord for his goodness, his might, and all that he does. But uh, as far as her part in the story, except for one or two mentions of her name later on, uh, this is about what she has. And yet, uh, she becomes a great example to us. And uh, these examples are given to us that we could learn. Not that we always have to do exactly like the people in the Bible did. Their circumstances were what they were, and ours are what they are. But they become principles uh, for us to follow. Godliness, commitment, love for the Lord, uh, even parenting in, in this example. Many things that we learn from these examples. After all, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things are written for our examples, uh, for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So uh, it's even a greater responsibility for us in the days that we live. I think only Mary perhaps stands taller than Hannah among women in the Bible that are examples to us. Of course, Mary, uh, uh, Gabriel said, is highly exalted, blessed among women. Uh, who stands higher than Mary and as far as God's choice to a, a, a teenager, perhaps a young uh, woman uh, giving uh, her life to the Lord as she did. But here's Hannah, who calls herself the handmaid of the Lord. She becomes the mother of Samuel, as I've said, I think the greatest statesman in the history of Israel, uh, a man of God that, that only has praise from the Lord, and we're thankful for that. You know, I got to thinking that there are many parents uh, throughout history that have done harder things than we have to do. <laughs> We think of Hannah and we think of what she's about to do by leaving her little boy uh, at the temple, and we think, I don't know if I could do that, uh, but she did that, and many others have done uh, that and more uh, for the Lord. I think of the list of martyrs that have died for the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes whole families together, as you read, whether it's Fox's Book of Martyrs or uh, other accounts, it's just incredible what Christian people have been able to do to serve the Lord when they've made a commitment uh, and suffered in the ways that they have. I think sometimes of missionaries uh, who have given their life and sometimes their very life uh, to serve the Lord and suffered throughout their life in places of the world uh, because they made a commitment. I think it was Nate Saint who said, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And that's how those people thought. And th I think just families of children in times of war, as you see the ravages of war in a certain city or country, or maybe in times of famine or, or natural disaster, and you see the people suffering and the families suffering, and you wonder to yourself, how can people go through those kinds of things? How can they make it? So my point simply is that 
that families have suffered more than we suffer, and they make it, and surely we can make it with what God has called us to. Uh, I, uh, I even think of mothers who have lost their little children, uh, sometimes uh, before birth, sometimes in those early years of life, and uh, a mother wonders, what is God doing? and uh, giving me this child and then taking him away uh, and that pain and suffering can be great and and uh, uh, maybe we've not maybe you've not had to go through that uh, and that's a hard time also but remember this that in all of that God so loved the world that he did what he gave his only begotten son he gave his son to be crucified to be hated, to be despised and rejected of men. And he did that for your sin and mine. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, not for his own. And he did that because he loved us. And so our sacrifice will never be that great, as great as God has done for us. And our sacrifice probably will never be as great as other people have sacrificed and suffered for the Lord. I want you to look at your outline in your uh, bulletin as you have it there, and a couple thoughts from these last verses in chapter 1. Uh, it was time for Hannah to do what she had promised to do, so she had to follow through. I call it a time of commitment and also a time of commencing, time to, to do it. By commitment, I mean it, it, it comes down when it's time to do the hard thing. You've talked about it, you've promised it, you said you would do it, now you have to deal with it, you have to follow through, you have to keep your commitment, and that's what she is doing here. And I think, uh, again, first of all, of the emotion of this commitment that she has made. Uh, really, I think every mother cringes and says, I just don't know if I could do that. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. Uh, to take my little child, boy or girl, and at, at, at two, three years old, maybe four, something in there, and take that child and leave that child with strangers and, and do it on purpose and only come back uh, once a year to see that child. And we all say, boy, that's tough. It says here in our verse that when, when he was weaned, and we talked a little bit about that last week, that, that typically in that culture was around three years old. There are some that take a view that, that, uh, uh, that, that this could be taken to be later years, like 9 or 10 years old, and, and this expression just mean when he no longer was dependent on his parents. But there aren't many that take that. I think generally those take it, and I would agree, that this means when uh, basically he was weaned uh, and uh, now can get away from his mother and do the things he needs to do. Our verse also says that uh, she brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh. You know, I had to think uh, that we never send a gift to God, we bring it. We don't send our offerings, we bring them. Uh, they didn't, he, she, he did, she didn't send him, she brought him. And it's something that is important to us that we bring our gifts. David said one time, Give unto the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering. Come before him 
Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We do that when we come together together on the first day of the week, right? And we uh, bring our offerings and bring our praise and bring our fellowship into the house of the Lord. That's important, and I think uh, she realized that time was coming, though we talked about last week again that it was okay for her as the wife and the family and the mother to uh, not come to every feast day as Elkanah was required to do, uh, but she stayed during these years and took care of her child. I think that's important. As a matter of fact, uh, one writer, uh, by the way, uh, let me back up and say, uh, he came with, verse 24, three bullocks, an ephah flower, a bottle of wine, all of the things that were needed for an offering. One older writer said three bullocks and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine were then presented before the tabernacle. Two of the animals were Elkanah's annual sacrifice. I mean, he had to bring these for the, for the feast day. The third bullock was for the special burnt offering that accompanied the consecration of Samuel to Jehovah. And the good father, meaning Elkanah, ratified the act and himself with all his household and worshiped the Lord there. And so here they come bringing their offerings as they should. And what does the end of verse 24 say? And the child was young. Yes, very young, three years old, let's say, at three years old. Uh, boy, what uh, a difficult thing this is to do. The child was young, and yet we'll see that little child was uh, happy as can be, serving the Lord, saying his prayers, doing whatever uh, is asked of him to do. So the emotion of it is one thing. And, and you know, there's Hannah's emotion, and there is Elkanah's emotion. He was the father. This was a boy that he had waited for. He loved Hannah, you remember, and was sorry that she didn't have children. And now he realizes they had asked the Lord, and the Lord gave. And so he's got the same emotions, too. Fathers have this, these kinds of emotions. And then there's little Samuel's emotion. A little boy like that, that's not easy. Uh, you know what it was like uh, the first time you brought your baby to church and left him in the nursery and he cried while you walked down the hallway. <laughs> you remember that. Uh, and you were, you'd be back in an hour, so that wasn't nearly as bad as, as this. But uh, every little child, too, uh, doesn't like to be left uh, behind by parents. So, so that was hard, too. But Hannah is a godly woman. And what she has done here is, is expressed her devotion to God, to say, this is what I will do for my Lord and to my God, and I will keep my devotion, and I will do the hard thing. And we can't falter for that. Whether you say, I just don't see how she could do this, you can't falter for her devotion to the Lord. As a matter of fact, I thought of a, a few others in the Scripture that have made uh, similar devotions. Of course, uh, uh, th there was Samson's mother, and, and uh, in a similar way as this, that where God promised she would have a child. The story goes in Judges 13, the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, this is Manoah's wife, her name is never given, and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. To the mother, before she's conceived, 
same as Hannah did when immediately after she made this promise. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So she knew that God was going to give her a child, but she would have to give him up to the service of God. Maybe not this young, but eventually. I think an amazing one is Jephthah and the vow he made about his daughter. Do you remember that? In Judges 11, where he's a judge of Israel and the Ammonites were inflicting the, the people of Israel. And so Jephthah makes a vow and says, Lord, if you will deliver uh, the Ammonites into our hands, into my hand as the leader, then I will sacrifice what, when I go home, whatever comes out of the door of my house first. And he's thinking a lamb, uh, something, I will sacrifice to you. And it came to pass that whatsoever cometh forth out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And in verse 34, Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house. This is after the battle, and he had won. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him. And it says, and it came to pass that when he saw her, that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. I, I am not sure that that means that he actually offered her as a burnt offering, but I think he gave her to the temple uh, for the rest of her life. But she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which proceeded out of thy mouth. So both the dedication of, of uh, Jephthah and his daughter are quite amazing uh, in this case. Or I think of Abraham and Isaac when, when uh, God said to Abraham, Take your only son and offer him. And, and Isaac, or Abraham, I mean, would have, right? He would have offered him if God hadn't stopped him uh, there on that mountain. So these things are, are amazing um, to us, I think. I, have, I, have, uh, I remember stories of missionaries and their kids. And uh, I remember stories in the old days when missionaries in, in countries, especially the African continent and other places where it was pretty primitive, and missionaries had given their life to the Lord, but they had small children with them. And th this was before the days when there was any homeschooling availability and all of that. So they would have to leave their children in, in boarding schools and leave them behind for months at a time and go to the interior and go to the field. And I remember hearing one story where the children ran out to the gate at the boarding school and held on to the gate and were crying after mom and dad, don't leave us. And yet she said we had to leave them and go because that's what we committed to the Lord to do. That's tough. That's hard. And I remember some mother sitting there at the time saying, I'd never do that. <laughs> I'd never do that. You don't know what you might or might be able to do uh, for the Lord. So there's the emotion of it. Secondly, there's the sacrifice of it in a short verse in verse 25, and they slew a bullock and brought the child uh, to Eli. Now, this was the one, the one uh, bull that was brought uh, for the child. The others were for the, uh, the temple sacrifice. 
And I think to myself, a, a pretty high price to pay. You know, uh, these were poor farmers. These were people who worked hard at their livestock, worked hard at their farms just to have a few things around. And now they're going to take one of their prized possessions, a bullock, after all, and bring that to the temple and just simply give it to God as a sacrifice. And yet they do it. And uh, you say, well, wouldn't it have been enough for her to just bring her child <laughs> and say, here, I'm leaving this child with you? She brings the offering, too, and brings the bullock. I was reminded of uh, when David uh, uh, came before the Lord, and the Lord was leading him to conquer Jerusalem and let that be uh, the, the place where eventually the temple would be built and the sacrifices would be made. And he found a threshing floor owned by a man named Arana, uh, and he said, uh, you know, I would like to have this threshing floor for the place of sacrifice in Jerusalem. And Arana says, uh, here, you can have it. And David said, no, I'll pay for it. And he said, no, I won't take money from you, David. You can have it. David said, uh, nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which cost me nothing. <laughs> and David bought the threshing floor and offered the oxen uh, for a sacrifice on them. And so I think Hannah had that same spirit of David. I'm not going to offer uh, what doesn't cost me something. She was that kind of a person and had that kind of, uh, that kind of a commitment. You know, I think the Christian life should cost, don't you? I think, I think we ought to pay some kind of a price in our life. I think uh, to live for the Lord and to serve Him, uh, it's good that it costs us something. I remember when the Lord Himself, uh, I read this the other day in Matthew 19, 29, said... Everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. For the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so nothing that we give up uh, is too great for what God is going to give us one day. And so what does it cost us? Does, does it cost us worldliness to serve the Lord? Praise the Lord for that. What could you be doing in your life right now if you didn't know the Lord? What would you be involved in? Where would you be and what, what kind of life would you be living? And you've, you've been able to give all of that up. Your Christian life cost you that worldliness. Isn't that great? <laughs> you could pay that kind of price, and it's a good thing. Serving the Lord, no doubt, has cost you time and money. I mean, you're here today, you've probably brought an offering with you today, and you've been doing that for years. So it's cost you a lot in time and money. Or do, you do you regret that? Is it something you wish you didn't have to do? Or serving the Lord cost you a path, the road not taken, the one path that you would have gone down in life, you would have become this, you would have become that, but because the Lord led you and you were sensitive to what He wanted in your life and even who you wanted in your life, you went down this path instead. So serving the Lord has cost you something, and that it should. Now before we go on to the second point, let me, let me ask this too. Was, was Hannah then a calloused person? maybe kind of overly religious, you know, a zealot who uh, made a promise beyond what she really needed to do. Maybe God would have, uh, maybe he would have given her a child if she hadn't made such a drastic uh, promise to God. 
you know that there are people who think you're pretty drastic in your Christian life. There are people who think, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to church like you go to church. I wouldn't live like you live and do this or not do that. There's always that kind of thinking. Well, let me make a few thoughts about that. Number one, vows are serious with God. And when we promise to the Lord, when we say we're going to do something, when we start out on a path for Him, it's serious with Him. And let me remind you about Hannah and, and Samuel. God was doing this. He didn't need to answer her prayer. He wasn't obligated to give the child. And so she made, uh, made the commitment, and God gave her the child and expected her to follow through. So God did it. And God was working his will in all of Israel. So our little piece of the puzzle, you know, we're just one little tiny piece in a large jigsaw puzzle, but our piece has to fit in with the whole picture. And here God was working with his people all the way from Abraham down to Moses and down to David and then on down to Christ himself. And there needed to be one important piece in this puzzle right there. And God knew that. And God is working that out through Hannah, through her barrenness at first, and then her promise, and now her vow, and now the fulfillment of it, God's working all of this out. And I think she knows that. She was just wanting to give God the best. This is what I've got. This is all I've got. If you would give me this, my most prized possession would be that little boy. And if you ask me for my most prized possession, I'd give him to you. That's what she's thinking. You can't fault a heart like that. As a matter of fact, maybe Hannah herself looked around and said, our nation needs a godly leader. We need a godly priest in this temple. We need a prophet of God. We need a statesman. And you know, Father, Lord, if you, if you would give me a baby boy, I would see to it that he had proper instruction from the earliest time in his life. I, I would see to it that he's a Nazarite and separated unto you so that you, I would give you the kind of man that you need in this nation. Maybe she's thinking like that. And, and this fulfillment of her promise is exactly uh, what she wanted. None of it would have happened without her vow. And you know what's interesting? Chapter 2, verse 21, uh, you know what it says? Uh, it says that God gave her, the Lord visited Hannah, so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. God's going to give her more Samuels and more little daughters, Samuelettes or whatever they, uh, she called them. So how about us, folks? We start off at baby dedication. I hope God doesn't keep track of baby dedications when we get to heaven, because to tell you the truth, I wonder how many parents who have brought their little babies up to a church platform and the pastor prayed for those little babies, uh, they had no intention of serving God and those kids never did, and the vow just went uh, into thin air. I suppose there's a lot of that. But I hope not with you. There's baby dedication where we stood there with our little ones and we said, Lord, uh, I want to honor you with this child. I, I want to uh, raise this child to, to serve you. So, so here, uh, take this child and help me be the kind of parent I should be. 
We worked at those first four or five years to teach salvation to those little ones. And I think, I think many children are truly saved at four and five years old, the time when they can understand decisions and the time they understand their sin. And so we worked toward that. We brought them to early faith in the Lord. And then we brought them to church. Sunday after Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we put them in youth group. We, we uh, uh, helped them uh, become church people, church-minded and gospel-minded and biblically-minded. We taught them manners and habits, convictions to live for the Lord. We, we helped them through their teenage years when they met all of those uh, hard things in their life. And you know what? It was only 18 years. And 18 years, and they're pretty much gone. And I don't know, at my age uh, right now, in my 60s, I think back in 18 years wasn't very long that I had with those, with those kids. Seems like a long time at, at first, and I didn't know if they'd make it through without me killing them. But, I, but, but they made it to 18, and you look back on it and say, that wasn't long before I knew it. They were gone. They were up, grown, and gone. I mean, my own son now has an 11-year-old daughter. He said the other day, he said, Dad, she's more than halfway to 18. It, it struck him. Half of the time is gone in training her and helping her. And so even 18 years, is what I'm saying, isn't very much. How have we done? Have we followed our commitments? Are we doing this before God as we should? So... There's time of commitment, there's the emotion of it and the sacrifice of it. But then uh, secondly, I, I, I call this commencement. There's a time of, of commencement, meaning it's, it's time to do it, it's time to start. Uh, right now, you know, it's time of commencement. Some of you have been to graduations uh, this last week or two, and there's still some ahead. Uh, we call it commencement. Why? Because it's the end of everything. That's kind of what we think. You know, this is the end of my schooling. I'm graduating. I'm done. I'm so glad I'm done. Uh, well, we didn't call it conclusion. <laughs> we called it commencement. It's time now to do the thing that's hard, to do the thing that you are trained to do, what you're prepared to do. So I call this uh, the time of commencement for her and for Samuel. It's time to leave him. Follow through on the commitment. Go on to do what you're supposed to do. And uh, I, I think of these three things. Number one, there, there's a time to remember. And so she comes to the temple, and there's Eli, now three years older than when she saw him last time, and he was old then. And she said, verse 26, Oh, my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, she, she calls him that twice. I am the woman that stood before thee here praying unto the Lord. Do you remember? I think it's a, it's a sweetness. I don't think there's any sourness in her voice at all. I don't think she makes any accusation toward him at all. I think that she still looks at the high priest as God's anointed. This is God's man. This is the one that, had I been a drunken woman, he would have been very right to scold me. But I wasn't, and he saw that, and then he said, I'm sorry, and we both went on and did what God wanted us to do. My Lord, she, she addresses him as. And I think that's a great thing. Uh, I liked what, what Matthew Henry uh, said about him and her. He said, good men ought not to be upbraided for their infirmities or oversights. They have themselves repented of them. 
let them hear no more of it. <laughs> and so no doubt uh, he felt bad himself many times for mistaken uh, uh, her in that time. And so here's this time to remember, and Hannah is thinking back three years before, thinking to the time when she made this vow for this child, thinking, boy, when I made that vow, I didn't realize how hard this is going to be. When I, it, the words came out of my mouth very easily, but now it's tough. Now it's hard to do, and yet we need to do it. I was reminded of this verse in Revelation 2.5 where John is addressing the church at Ephesus, or, or Jesus is really, and uh, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against thee, because what? Thou hast left thy first love. And here's his instruction, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Repent, do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place except thou repent. I think of the R's, you know, remember, repent, redo, or else remove. And so uh, even Peter said one time, I, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So remembering what God uh, has done in our lives is a good thing. And I think when it comes time to fulfill our vows, we kind of have to do that. We have to remember these things. Later on this month, on the 15th of this month, if I'm a good husband, I will remember that it was 43 years ago I made a vow <laughs> to this pretty lady right here and said that I would love her the rest of my life. And she made the same vow to me. And it's a good thing to remember every year, isn't it? It's a good thing to stop and say, I remember that vow I made. I remember uh, what we promised one another. You know, there's another special time in my life coming up uh, related to the same kind of thing, because next year will be 2018, and I'll be 68. And it was at 18 that uh, I got out of my bed late one night about midnight and knelt down beside my bed. I could take you back to the same room in the same corner of the room where my bed was in that corner. And I was lying there at night, and God had been speaking to me about ministry. And it was late that night. I couldn't sleep. I crawled out of my bed, got on my knees, and said, Lord, I will preach your gospel if that's what you want me to do. So next year will be 50 years ago <laughs> that I made that commitment to the Lord. And I left home at 18 and never lived at home again. Visited a lot of times, but never, never lived there again. It's good to remember. Sometimes you just have to stop and say, I remember, Lord, I did this. I remember I made this commitment. Renew it. Strengthen it. Help me to be faithful to, to the end, to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. And I hope we all do that. So there's a time to remember, and then secondly, a time to confess, where, where I think when she says, for this child I prayed. And the Lord hath given me my petition, which I ask. The same word in Greek for two of those words, the, the asking which I ask uh, uh, of you. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting that word is pronounced shawl, petition or ask. And it's very similar to the name Samuel, which is why the, the name Samuel also means to ask of the Lord. Samuel, ask of the Lord. Shaul is the, is the New Testament name for Paul. Saul became Paul, uh, you remember. And, and so it means here to, to ask. And it's the same word, we'll get to it in a minute, in verse 28, as the word Lent. 
I lent him uh, to the Lord. So all of these uh, are connected, and she's confessing what she has done here. And, and she says, uh, I have lent, uh, or excuse me, I have, uh, uh, or the Lord, that's what I'm looking at, the Lord hath given me this petition which I ask of him. The Lord did it. You know, Paul said on, on Mars Hill, it is the Lord who giveth to all things life and breath and all things. It's in him we live and move and have our being. And so I uh, ask the Lord and the Lord gave. Everything you have is given to you. Paul, Paul asked the Corinthians in one place, what do you have that hasn't been given to you? What do you have in life that God hasn't given to you? God gave you everything. God has done it all. And even the pain and the suffering and the hurt worked out for good because you love the Lord. What do you have that God has not given you? And we need to confess that to him and say, Lord, everything that I am and everything that I have and everything that I'm able to do, you built into me. We were talking about spiritual gifts in our lesson last hour, and, and uh, uh, everyone around the table kind of confessed, this is what God has built into my life. This is how God gifted me. This is how God enabled me to serve him. Everything we have, God gave us. She's admitting that is the point. And then one last thing, and that's in verse 28. Now it's a time to do it. The talking's done. The confessing's done. The remembering's done. She has to leave this child. And therefore, also, I have lent him to the Lord. And as I said, that's the same root word in that Hebrew language as the word petition and the word ask. Although, and I, I checked this, I, I know a little Hebrew besides the one who cooks hot dogs. I, I know enough to work my way around it. I'm not as good at it as I am with other things. But, but it's an expanded word. In other words, all of these words, also I have lent him, is all one conglomerated Hebrew word, which is typical of that language and the Greek language. So, so also I have lent him, and that's why some people uh, uh, put a footnote there, and at the footnote of your page, it will have the word returned, and it does in my Bible. So I've returned him to the Lord. But that's because lending is, expects returning, right? Uh, God uh, lended her this boy, and now she's going to lend him back to the Lord or return him to the Lord. So it's a recognition that this child comes from God, not from me. This is God's stuff. I'm just giving it back. You understand that when you bring an offering to the Lord, don't you? that everything belongs to the Lord. You're just a steward of it. And when you give your offering, uh, you are simply returning what he put in your possession. And she understood this. And so she's saying that I, I, I'm, I'm returning him back to you because you lent him to me for a while. And I praise you for that and thank you for the time I had with him. But she says, I'm doing this as long as he lives. This isn't an apprenticeship, you know, where you take your child to the leather worker or the pottery barn or somewhere and you say, here, uh, I'm enrolling my child in this, uh, in this business and teach him how to do it so, so, so that he can come back home and be a good carpenter or whatever. No, for as long as he lives. 
he's yours. I'm giving it to him for a long time. You know, the Bible describes children as arrows. Do you remember that? Psalm 127, verse 4. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall be, uh, or not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Children are like arrows. Do you, do you ever think about somebody making an arrow? Do you ever find an arrowhead? You know, uh, here in Missouri, because of the type of rocks and all, there's a lot of arrowheads around, and you can find one. And I often look at an arrowhead, and I'm thinking, how long did it take a guy to make this thing? He got some kind of flint or harder rock, and he's chipping away at that and makes that perfect little arrow. And then he's got to find a stick. You know, you can't just get any old stick. <laughs> it's got to be a straight true one, and you've got to carve it out straight, and you've got to work at that, at that stick for a while. And so now how long do you have into this arrow? I don't know, months? However long it took him, I don't know, and he's got a bunch of them, and he's working on them all together, and he, then he's got to have the right kind of, of string, probably made out of leather, uh, so he's got to take that leather, and he's got to cut that down and shrink it, and he's got to make string out of it, and he's going to wrap that arrow that now has taken weeks or months to make, and he's going to wrap it around that stick, and he's going to put it all together, and he's going to look at that arrow and say, this is great, look at this, puts it in his... his uh, whatever thing. Uh, and, and then he goes out to hunt. He sees something. He pulls that thing out, pulls a bow back, lets it go. And guess what? All that work's gone. <laughs> Months, weeks, all the skill he's got, all the time he put into that one arrow that looks so beautiful and he misses and that thing flies into the woods. He'll never find it again. So Children are like that. <laughs> 18 years we spend carving this and making this and tying this and putting it together. And graduation time comes and phew, they fly out into the world. And you know, once you let go of that arrow, like a bullet out of a gun too, once you let go, you don't say, oh wait, I didn't mean that and grab it. <laughs> you don't have time to do that. You know, once you let go, you let go. And no doubt, we all, we all have certain regrets when our children are grown, when our children leave. We could have done this better. We wish we had done this and so forth. But we did what we did and did the best we could. And now the arrow's flying. And even though uh, it's good that children, even at that age, college age or whatever, uh, spend time around home, uh, Ryan, you better be here every summer and not anywhere else. I mean, that's good. But... He's, he's on his own path now. He's on his own life now. And this is, this is what happens. And so they're like arrows, aren't they? And you know what, folks? As a father, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't. I don't like that. I didn't like that time when they went off to college. I cried when my oldest daughter, Rebecca, left home, the first one. By the time the fourth one came, I said, all right. Yeah. <laughs> but the first one. The first one I didn't like, uh, I didn't like it at all, leaving my daughter with a bunch of strange people <laughs> in a strange place at a college campus. It was a Christian school, so that made it a lot better. Uh, you know, I, I, didn't like, I, I didn't like walking my two daughters down the uh, aisle at their wedding either. I didn't like that at all, giving this girl to him. 
look at him. What kind of guy is this? I hardly know this guy. I've spent 18 years with this girl. He spent, I don't know, 18 weeks. Now he wants to spend the rest of his life. With, you know, I don't know that. Are, are you laughing, Jan, or are you crying? <laughs> you know, I, you know, you know that feeling, don't you? And and then when they move away, take a job somewhere, halfway around the world, and the worst. They ought to be punished for is when they take your grandkids and move them out of state somewhere to Alaska, you know, or the North Pole, Joe, where you're, you know, wherever. I didn't like it at all, but I love it. But I love it. So why do you make an arrow if it's not to shoot it? Why do you raise a child if it's not to send him or her out into this world to serve God? You got to let go you got to do the right thing sooner or later. So in the end, I love it. Now, I want you to notice one more thing uh, as we close. Right at the end of verse 28, and he worshiped the Lord there. I had to stop and look back at that. Not they. He. I thought to myself, maybe that means Eli or Elkanah. I don't think there's any way around that verse other than that means Samuel. He worshiped the Lord there. I think maybe it was old Matthew Henry who said, he said his prayers. <laughs> okay, little Samuel, time to go. Here, say your prayer before the Lord. Bowed his little head like he's supposed to do and worship the Lord there. Isn't that an amazing thing? I, I really think it is that, that he did that. I'm going to show you some other verses, but look down at chapter 2, verse 11. Elkanah went to Ramah, to his house, and the child did minister before the Lord. Goes about his business. Look at chapter 2, verse, verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. The, the linen ephod was the big cape uh, gown-like thing that the priest wore all the way down to the floor, and then they had other things hanging on it and so forth, the ephod. Well, you can't put one of those on a little three-year-old, but you can make him a little one and put it on him. There he is with his little ephod running around the tabernacle, ministering to the Lord. You know what? I thought, never underestimate a child's faith. They'll surprise you. They'll pray and make you ashamed. <laughs> you ask them to pray at dinner, you ask them to pray at devotions or something, and you'll be amazed. Uh, last fall, Ann and I were up in Alaska at, at a youth camp that I was speaking at. It was October, getting late in Alaska. October, the snow's already flying a little bit and things are cold, but I was speaking at this camp and and there, it, it was a pastor's retreat. There were mostly and men from churches there. But there were three families, including uh, Aaron and Rebecca's, who had little kids there and pretty large families. So these three families, the parents worked around the camp. And I was amazed that these kids, from the littlest ones up to the teenagers, worked all week long to take care of that camp. Even the older ones were cooking and serving the food, and the little ones were sweeping the floors and picking up things. I was amazed. I was also amazed because it's 
it's late October in Alaska, and Ann and I are, you know, we're from down here, so we've got our coats on and our hat, and, you know, we're all bundled up. We walk outside, and here go these little ones running out across the field with hardly any shoes on, much less, you know, a coat or a hat. Didn't even think about that. Serving the Lord. I, I, that thought came to my mind when I thought, you know, we think little kids can't serve the Lord. We think they, they don't have it in them to do something worthy for God. They were working like little beavers all over that camp all week long, happy as can be, laughing with each other and playing with each other. It can be done. As a matter of fact, I want to show you, you were in chapter 2. In verse uh, 11 and 18, as I just read, he ministered to the Lord. Look at uh, verse 19. Of, I'm in chapter 2. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her uh, husband to the yearly sacrifice. So only once a year did he, did he see his mother. Look at verse 21 uh, again. The Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. And look at verse 26. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. He's growing up serving God. Verse 35. God said, I will raise me up a faithful priest. This was her wish and God's too that shall do according to that which is in my heart and my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And one last one, if you go all the way to chapter 3 to the end, chapter 3, verse 19, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord, faithful to the word and to ministry all his life. Never underestimate a child's faith and what that child can do if he's given to the Lord. And so let's give our kids to the Lord at an early age. Let's, let's take their faith seriously and build that little faith up in the Lord. Give them religious responsibility and say, here, do this for the Lord. Here, serve the Lord this way. I'm glad for that. I'm glad that, uh, that we can. Uh, Philemon back here, you're, when they moved back to, to Kansas City, asked what could he do, and I said, well, you know what? Our songbooks are always a mess before and after church. How would you like to straighten our songbooks? And you know, I've never had to ask him again. He's done that. And, and you'll see him after church straightening the songbooks? Well, let's give them responsibility. They can do it. They'll surprise us how, how well they can do it. And I wrote this down because I believe it. Your kids are better bored than entertained. They're better bored in church than entertained. Because if they're entertained, it's like a drug. They just have to have more and more or they're not satisfied. But bored is like school. <laughs> it's like something that's good for you. And when you're done, you say, I was glad I did it. That was good for me. And that's what our kids need uh, in the house of the Lord too. So are you a child? Be obedient. 
do what your parents ask you to do. Are you a parent? Then bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that when you release them, they'll serve God. And are you an empty nester, a grandparent here? Then pray. That's something that kids need and you can do. And be an example to them all of your life. They need to see that. I'll end with these words from 2 John. I thought of them. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, <laughs> whom I love in the truth, he says. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. For I rejoice greatly when I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Wouldn't we like to say that about all our children? Let's pray that we can. Stand now with me, if you will. And as we stand, we'll bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll sing a song. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time that we spent in this first chapter of 1 Samuel and this life of, of Hannah, who is an example to us of faithfulness and commitment to you. Thank you for that. And Father, uh, for little Samuel and all uh, children like this who have served you, thank you for them. And thank you for uh, the example that he gives us of a statesman and a man of God that we can follow too. And so, Father, speak to our hearts in the way only you can. You know what we need. You know where our heart aches. You know even, Father, our regrets and our memories and things that are a pain to us. Take that away, Father, and give us joy in the Lord. And we pray, Father, that you would hear our prayers for our children and grandchildren and serve them as mighty arrows in your hand. So, Father, do in our hearts right now what you need to do and what our heart needs and move us in the way that we need to be moved. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our invitation's open both to pray at this 